Good evening and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow the podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. Tonight's episode is sponsored by the wonderful folks at Built Bar. And if you've never had Built Bar, they're a wonderfully flavorful, tasty, and healthy alternative to the usual boring humdrum protein bars you're used to. Soft on the inside, chocolatey on the outside, and you can get $10 off your first order with a cheeky promo code locked on. Again, that's promo code locked on when you place your first order at builtbar.com. Make sure you do it before the end of the month because you get an additional $5 off on top of the $10 discount. So make sure you get your order in sooner rather than later so you have a nice healthy supply of built bars for the times gyms finally reopen. Lord knows I'm starting to get a little too flabby on the midsection, man. Uh, I can feel my muscles starting to deteriorate a little bit. I can't wait to start actually getting some real workouts in. Speaking of real workouts, I thought I would talk a little bit uh, the first part of this episode talking about the NHL's new plan to relaunch, because it sounds like from all the discussion and chatter that's been hitting the social media airwaves and everything, the NHL is very likely returning sometime around the end of July or early August. I think August is looking more like it because the NHL has basically said that training camps are not going to happen before, I believe, July 10th. You know, what I was saying earlier about the NHL needing to give at least a bit of lag time in between when they have this whole plan and when they start, I think that this is a much better approach to it because we don't really know what the situation with COVID is going to look like in about two to three months. There are still a lot of unknowns, and already we're seeing spikes in cases reported in other states that have started to reopen, so I feel like the NHL is probably a little bit nervous about how all of this is going to pan out, and they still don't really have a logistical plan for, like, um, a hub city that they've chosen, because first off, they don't have the hub city chosen yet. That's something that they're still discussing. And I think the other consideration is, how do you protect players as much as possible? Uh, obviously, we've been kind of critical about how the NHL has discussed doing the you know, the testing procedures and the fact that they wouldn't have team self-quarantine if a couple of guys tested positive. But I'm pretty sure that the NHL is actually more nervous about this than they've let on. They aren't the only uh, league that's actually starting to think about restarting. It sounds like the Premier League and Serie A are both targeting around an end-of-June restart to the season, which... Yeah, okay, I, I think the Premier League is kind of weird because they've already had guys test positive and they said, oh yeah, just self-quarantine for like a week. Not not 100% sold on that whole plan, so we'll see how the Premier League does it. I, I think the NHL has actually, among all of the leagues, expressed the most caution and really thought about things a little bit more than it seems. It's funny because the the Premier League, I think, is probably one of the wealthiest leagues out there as far as like TV revenue is concerned, and I feel like well, I, I can't say for sure, but I, I would be surprised if they were going to be in trouble if the season didn't resume. The NHL, on the other hand, though, they, they really did desperately need money, so it's kind of surprising that they're not even thinking about a June restart or even early July. It's going to be much later than that because I think the training camps are, are being discussed as about like a three-week preseason program. The Jets do appear to be matched up against the Calgary Flames, which is kind of interesting. Uh, and because of the playoff structure, which means the regular season is now in effect over, uh, awards are going to start being distributed. And I think Ovechkin is sharing the Rocket Richard with, I forget who it was, was it Pasternak? I don't even remember who was like tied with the goal, goal-scoring lead. I thought it was Pasta, but honestly, the NHL has been away so long, and like I wasn't even paying attention that closely. I don't even know who the scoring race lead was. Hellebuck, though, is most certainly going to be the Vezina winner. Uh, I mean, he didn't have the, the most wins in the league, but he was actually second in that category. 
and he also had the most shutouts, which, I mean, those are just really base-level statistics that don't actually mean all that much in the grand scheme of things, but people tend to love them, and a lot of Vezina winners can kind of pin their hats on their whole, uh, let's just say their their, their goal or goaltending record, which people just look at wins and that's that's how they judge them. Not really thinking about things like context and, and what those wins actually signify. In reality, Hellebuck's win total being like second or third in the league is pretty nuts when you consider just how bad the Jets' defense is, and I think most people are actually keenly aware that Winnipeg's blue line was, mm, shall we say, suboptimal. So, you know, I think Hellebuck really doesn't have any competition, although I did find it super funny. Bardown tweeted something the other day, and I kind of lost my crap a little bit because it was, who deserves to win the Vezina? And they had like Ben Bishop and Andre Vasilevsky and Tuka Rosk as their three image front runners. I'm like, seriously, man? Like, the only guy who really deserves to win the Vezina in the NHL this season, and it's not even close, it's it's by like a country mile, is Connor Hellebuck. Rosk is the only one in that trio who would have a shout, and I don't really think that that shout is particularly big. But, you know, Bardown probably doesn't pay that closely attention to, you know, Winnipeg Jets and uh, Connor Hellebuck being an amazing stud for Winnipeg. So, uh, what what can you say? It's just one of those things that you kind of shake your head and move on. Um, obviously, Bardown, not exactly the highest quality at reporting, shall we say. I'm sure that they were trying to troll or something, because I can't imagine not having Hellebuck as, like, the leading candidate to be the Vezina Trophy winner when you think about just how bad this Jets team was and how far they've come under Hellebuck's tutelage this season. The uh, the next couple of months, though, are going to be prep time, getting the Jets ready for the postseason, I guess, because it's going to be sort of weird. There's this whole play-out, uh, play-in round-robin thing that the the, uh, the NHL is doing, and the, you know, obviously Winnipeg is in the play-in, I guess, extra team stage where they have to kind of earn their way into the postseason, which is a funny concept when they didn't really earn their way in the normal route. But honestly, I think that the Jets played well enough to, you know, of the teams that got that extra slot, I don't think that people could really complain about them getting in. Montreal getting in? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You do have a point about them kind of sneaking in and maybe not really deserving a spot, but Winnipeg, I think, was really on the fringe and cusp of doing it, and if they had the rest of the season to work it out, they probably would have made that final wildcard spot. Calgary's going to kind of be a, a weird challenge. I think that the uh, the Flames are... Well, I wouldn't say that they're a great team, but they're one of those squads that has given the Jets trouble before, in part because they have an ability to counter really quickly and apply a lot of pressure, but I don't really know a whole lot about the Flames this season. They're sort of a strange team, like a bit of an absent question mark in my mind. Any time that I've seen them this season, which admittedly was not a whole lot, but like all of the stuff that I've seen from them and from people who have talked about them, the Flames are just kind of a mediocre team and there's just a lot of inconsistency in their squad. Goaltending is definitely going to be something that I think they're going to struggle with. And if they already have a, a goaltending mismatch, which if Hellebuck is, is in his prime form again, most definitely is a mismatch, then Calgary might be in some trouble. It won't be a sweep, but I think Winnipeg could do it in six games or less. I, I think it's not going to go the full distance, and I wouldn't be shocked if Winnipeg even went 4-1. and one. Although I just said 4-1, and one, and I'm actually not sure if it's a full seven-game series. I have to do a little more research into the whole structure, but either way, I'm pretty sure the Jets are, are going to win that series no matter what the, the length is. Whatever the most convoluted solution to this whole thing is, is what the NHL has said, so I'm, I'm assuming that it's probably going to be some different series length, because if I don't know it off the top of my head, neither does the NHL at this stage. While details around the NHL's plan to relaunch are a little bit sketchy, one thing that's definitely not sketchy at all is the Built Bar line of products. I mentioned them earlier in the show, and I actually really like Built Bar. 
they offer a really good suite of products. So they have like, I think around 20 different flavors so far. And if you have like a nut allergy or something, they have like eight different nut-free flavors, uh, which is pretty rare for a protein bar company to really consider those things. Unlike most protein bars, Built Bars are nice, chewy, and soft, so they're more like a candy bar than anything. And if you're looking for like a flavor recommendation, you should probably give the dark chocolate raspberry flavor a run. I'm not a big berry person myself, but I actually thought that this flavor was really nice, it was very simple, and it tasted great. Most of them are also very healthy for you. I think that they uh, they really top out at around 120 to 150 calories per, with around 4 to 5 grams of fat and around 30% of your daily protein intake. For a protein bar, that's incredibly lean, especially with how much protein it packs in every bite. With good nutritional values, you usually have to sacrifice taste, but Built Bar have your back. If you've never ordered before, head on over to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off your first order, and also take an additional $5 off on top of the $10 discount when you order before May 31st. Again, be sure to use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off your first order, and also make sure that you order right now for an extra $5 off. For the rest of the show, I thought it'd be kind of fun to do two things. One, this week's theme is like a moment back in time where we sort of recap something that happened and where we were in the moment, what we were feeling, what we were thinking, and I thought because we were doing like a draft recap sequence, talking about 2016's draft would be a fun place to start. And then after this, uh, for those of you who are also watching international football, you're probably looking for like a Bundesliga team to support. Um, obviously, a lot of you are Canadians, so I'm sure you're all Bayern fans, but here's a couple of... I'll, I'll tell you some reasons why you should maybe root for somebody else other than Bayern, because you have a lot of options, and it's not just the Alfonso Davies show, even though when I watch him, it always is the Alfonso Davies show. So, you know, I'll give you some other choices for teams if you don't want to just root for the standard uh, Bayern, yeah, I guess, standard bearer of Bundesliga. But before we get into that, I thought I would talk about 2016 because that was a very crazy draft if you're a Winnipeg Jets fan. And I think everyone knows why for like the most part, because we got frickin' Patrick Laine. Now, Laine, of course, went second overall. And I remember in the moments leading up to the draft lottery, I I mean, look, Winnipeg, after that 2014-15 playoff season, had a very rough return to earth. And it, it just... I don't know, I was very dispirited as a Jets fan because I felt like, you know, we didn't resign uh, Lee Stepniak. Most of the team's extra guys departed, like Yuri Tulusti. I forget if he stuck, stuck around or if he left, but, you know, Jay Harrison was gone, which actually was a good thing, although I, I didn't recognize it at the time. But basically, the team kind of broke up, and Ladd, you know, wasn't really long for the Jets after that. So there was a lot of, of movement and turnover with the roster, and... Winnipeg's following season was just pretty rough all around. I think they finished in like the bottom 10, but I don't exactly remember what position, like it might have been 24th or 25th or something. So the Jets had like an okay-ish shot at a lottery pick, but certainly not top three. And then the the draft lottery uh, order started to be announced. And I remember sitting there, I think I was at a Caps game because I think Washington was playing Pittsburgh at the time in the second round. And of course, Every time the Pens and the Caps play, up until 2017-18, we all knew what would happen. And of course, in that game, Washington again lost. I think it was like a 2-0 loss or something. But I was sitting there watching on my phone, not even paying attention to the game, which hadn't, I don't think, started at that point, um, because they were doing the draft lotto first. And I was sitting there staring at my phone, thinking, no, no, there's no way. There's no way that this is going to happen. There's no way that Winnipeg is going to win a draft pick, uh, especially a, a lotto pick. There's no way. There's no way Winnipeg is picking in the top three. And then 
it happened. And I think I actually shouted really loudly. I said like something like, yeah, like super loudly. And I was standing or even sitting, I think, in the stands in one of the upper decks. And to like no one in particular, I remember yelling, we got one, we got one. And I don't think anyone understood what I was saying we got one for, but I was just, I was out of my mind. I thought it was the most amazing thing. I could not believe that Winnipeg had a shot at somebody amazing. Now, at the time, the, the conversation was between Patrick Laine and Yesapuya Yarvi, and I think everyone pretty much knew that if, if Laine was going to be on the board instead of Austin Matthews at number two overall, the Jets were going to take him. Winnipeg had, like, a list of players if, you know, they had won a lotto pick, but most people kind of assumed we'd be closer to, like, fifth or sixth overall. Once the lotto pick thing became a reality, though, I mean, there was no question of who the Jets should take, and, and it wasn't really a hard decision. Winnipeg saw Patrick Laine, and they said, yep, he's going to be our, our next franchise finish flag bearer. I mean, this was the guy who was going to be a sensational return to form for a team that had been missing, like, a star player to plant some kind of identity around since the Solani era. Now, to some degree, I feel like that particular thought process is maybe a little bit unfair to who the Jets were, because I feel like their identity before Laine was sort of a gruff and rough-and-tumble, gritty, underappreciated and underrated team. I mean, we had Bufflin, Ladd, Little, Wheeler, and Wheeler was arguably uh, one of the best NHLers at the time. But there were a lot of unsung heroes like Enstrom and a couple of other guys, and eventually Matthew Perot, of course, would become very famous, and then there was the, uh, like the 20 games of Lee Stempniak. So I, I think Line was really a paradigm shift for the Jets. You know, Ehlers was starting to show his true colors, and Kyle Connor would not be long after that. And here comes Patrick Laine, somebody to be part of this new future core, which would arguably start around uh, Mark Shifley. Laine heralded a new era in Jets hockey, and I think that it's pretty obvious that he was really a, a standard bearer for what was to come. But in that same first round, Winnipeg also got Logan Stanley, and I really feel like the fact that the Jets traded up for that pick and who they drafted there really kind of set the stage for two different philosophies. You have Laine, who's like the bleeding edge of young talent and like a, a modern NHL goal scorer in the mold of somebody like not necessarily Alexander Ovechkin. I think that he's a very different player, but something akin to that. And then here you've got Logan Stanley on the other hand, who actually has yet to play an NHL game. And I don't know that he ever really will. But, you know, he's a big, tall, uh, sturdy, tall, thick, physical defenseman who actually has an okay shot, but he's not the kind of player that I think most modern teams are looking for in high-end defensemen. He is very much a safe, stay-at-home type, but even then I think that there were, of course, questions about like his mobility and stuff. So, on the one hand, I was very disappointed by that part, and then the rest of the draft was kind of mediocre, but, I mean, I always remember thinking to myself, I can't believe Patrick Laine is a Jet. You know, a lot of folks were like, yeah, Austin Matthews is the better player, probably, but I didn't care. We weren't even supposed to be a lottery team, and yet here we did to move up several spots and finally win something special. I think all that is left at this point is to finally bring a title home and get Patrick Laine a ring, you know, before he, if he does leave the Jets at some point, I hope that he has a, a cup ring, but, you know, the NHL is an unpredictable place. I, I really do want to see a championship come to Winnipeg, though, especially with this current core. With the uh, the draft talk out of the way, I thought it'd be fun to talk a little bit about 
picking a Bundesliga team to root for, I know some people have asked me, oh, Harrison, who, who do you choose? You know, what is the best Bundesliga team to vote for and root for with this, I guess, post-COVID return to action, so to speak? And you have a bunch of options. Now, the first and obvious choice for Canadians is going to be Bayern. And Bayern are, are, of course, Bundesliga champions several years running. Uh, they don't ever really seem to be bothered. And when they have, like, internal chaos, usually they stabilize and return back to their dominant form. And this season, under new head coach Hansi Flick, who took over from Niko Kovac early on, Bayern are, are better than ever and continue to dominate with a team that's, you know, the roster may not be the strongest, but the way that they play is fantastic. Alfonso Davies has been, of course, one of the key catalysts on that back end and the stuff that he can do, whether trying to track back on defense or progressing the ball forward and attacking the final third, he really is a game-changing talent and a game-breaking offensive force or a really stout defensive uh, fullback when you need him to be. He can do everything that you ask him to and really add some flair to it, too. If you want to choose a potential rival to Bayern, that would be Borussia Dortmund, which is my team. And Borussia Dortmund brings a ton of you know, offensive attacking prowess with guys like Erling Haaland, Julian Brandt, um, Jaden Sancho, of course, who is probably moving to England pretty soon, uh, Torgen Hazard, Rafael Guerrero, a lot of forward options. And then you kind of ignore the defense and maybe the midfield because both of those are not quite as stout as some of the other aspects of the team. The Schwarzgelbe, though, are all really fantastically fun to watch, and they have an amazing section in the Yellow Wall, which, if you've never seen it, is a 25,000 standing uh, supporter section that constantly cheers and chants during games. Really something to behold. I've gotten to see it twice in person. It's just fantastic. I'm going to skip Leipzig because if you're going to cheer for a Bundesliga team, cheer for literally any other team. But, you know, don't don't root for Leipzig. I don't I don't care for them. There's like a whole ownership debacle with that team. And I, uh, no, we're not going to talk about that. Uh, next up is Borussia Mönchengladbach. And Gladbach are kind of an interesting team. I think that early on in the season, they were potential, con- you know, title contenders. They've since faded. But what they have there is like a young prospects project mixed with... Uh, a couple of, of veteran players and some underrated defensive talents, along with guys like Alessandro Plea uh, leading their forward charge. But that team, I don't know, under their current coach, which is Marco Rosa, I mean, they're an interesting squad. I just, I don't know if Defolen are really going to be competitive next year. They have some, like, amazing midfielders and a couple of really great defensive players, and they also have one of the best goalkeepers in the world in Jan Sommer. But uh, beyond that, it's kind of hard to say if they're going to be able to go very far. In the standings table, they only trail Dortmund by a few points, but their actual form has been pretty rough. I mean, they're just not playing particularly great football, so kind of an odd squad. And then right after them, you've got Leverkusen. And Leverkusen are actually coached by a former Dortmund manager, um, Peter Bosch. And Leverkusen are, like, super fun. They're just all-out attacking football. Historically, they actually cheated a lot on the offensive side of things, which left them defensively vulnerable, but they've since overhauled their back line. And they're a pretty strong team, although they did just get embarrassed by the team directly below them in the standings, uh, Wolfsburg. And Wolfsburg, I don't really know what to say about them. Most people kind of joke about this squad being a a team with no real fans, which is kind of fair. I mean, the squad is just sort of, they're they're like a boilerplate, good defensively minded team that occasionally shows you a little bit of offensive prowess, but not much. In the ashes of all of like the Volkswagen scandals, which is one of their uh, leading sponsors, Wolfsburg, have had to rebuild significantly. But 
they're still like an okay team, and they've they've actually got an American center back in John Brooks, who I think most people know is scoring that goal against Ghana in the World Cup a few years ago. But it's kind of hard to say that they have an identity beyond being really defensively minded. Uh, Hoffenheim, another team in the similar boat, not really sure what to say about them. Their ownership team uh, under, I forget what his name is, um, but they kept calling him some very not nice names, which I think is really funny because he's one of those, I guess, kind of corporate big money owners. And, and Bundesliga fans are always very much about more community ownership rather than like these big rich people coming in. So uh, Hoffenheim are just kind of like a mediocre team themselves. I mean, outside of their ownership team, there's nothing really remarkable about it. I think that they have a couple of talented players. Uh, there's like Belfadil and a few others, but uh, not really interesting. The team that's after them is Flybug, and Flybug are, are a really curious squad. They're like the little engine that could year in and year out. Under Christian Slyke, who's like one of my favorite managers, they've managed to keep uh, up in the top rungs of the Bundesliga and kind of hang around a lot longer than they have any right to. Freiburg have like no money, but Stryker has done like a masterful job of keeping this team very defensively composed. And occasionally they actually have some offensive chops in guys like Grifo and uh, Waldschmidt, which if you've never seen them play, they're actually pretty exciting players. Uh, defensively pretty stout, but occasionally they will have lapses because again, this is a cheap team. They don't have a lot of money. Next up are Borussia Dortmund's most hated rivals, Schalke, and Schalke are uh, disappointing to say the least. This is a team that uh, for a long time, used to be a very feared and revered squad, especially in, in German football. But Schalke, the past couple of seasons, uh, they've basically been a shell of themselves, and they're really just a disappointment. Like, they've had to fight off relegation on and off, and they're just like a couple of seasons removed from having like a top four finish. So I don't really know what to make of that team other than the fact that they've vastly underperformed. There's Hertha Berlin, which are like the least exciting Berlin of the two teams that are from the city, and the Hertha are just kind of like there. I think Jurgen Klinsmann was coaching them at some point this season. That obviously did not go well. They have some really talented young players like Matthias Cunha and uh, who else? I think Christoph Piatek is there. Beyond that though, man, that team is just kind of like, ugh, very mediocre. And then there's also Etsy Keln, and Keln I actually have a soft spot for just because I love Keln. It's a great city. Uh, their fans are wonderful, very vibrant culture there, a super cool city if you've never been. The team itself is like mediocre. They do have some like nice comeback stories and guys like Anthony Modeste. Uh, defensively though, pretty susceptible and not a whole lot of scoring going on for that squad. And then there's also FC Augsburg who are also kind of in the same boat as Kel, not exactly a stout defense, kind of a uh, an okay offense, but nothing really exciting. I, I mean, they do have like Alfred van Bogesen and Florian Niederlechner. Both of whom are actually very good, and especially Nita Lechner. I don't think people will give him enough respect as being one of the best uh, center forwards in German football, but he's very good. Anjan Ballon are probably the best story of Bundesliga this year. They're like a really tiny, tiny, tiny side um, and represent a very vibrant anti-fascist culture that has existed for a long time in East Germany. Anjan are, are a great story, and you know people thought that they were going to get relegated pretty quickly, but they have managed to stay in the top flight, and it looks like they will maintain that position going forward. The last five teams are all kind of weird. Eintracht Frankfurt went from being one of the most exciting offensive Bundesliga teams to really struggling to maintain above the relegation line. I mean, this does happen when you lose uh, multiple guys like Luka Jovic. They lost um, Sebastian Aller. So, like, that's a lot of attacking prowess, basically down now to Philip Kostic 
and whoever else they find, like Daichi Kamada and a few other guys. Um, unfortunately, they just haven't been able to carry the load. And even though they have like a good center back and a guy like Martin Hinterega, that's just a very leaky defense. And Kevin Trapp and Nets been didn't, you know, pretty terrible. So tough season, and I think they lost in Europa League as well. Mainz, I don't really know what to say about. They're just another very bad team with a leaky defense and kind of okay attacking when you have like Oniswo and uh, like a Robin Kaison, but not a not a whole lot to write home about. Fortuna Dusseldorf are currently in the uh, playoff relegation spot, and Fortuna are kind of like Anyon, another very small team with a, a limited budget. A couple of young, talented players, but not much going on for them. They were higher in the standings last season, but this year they're definitely fighting relegation. Not as badly as uh, Werder Bremen, though. Werder have evade, evaded relegation in the past several seasons, and last year actually had like a, a top 10 finish, I think. Um, something fell off the, the wheels this year. This team has just completely imploded, and I feel bad because like Werder have like a really storied history as far as German football goals, and now they're staring down relegation and moving back to the second league. I've gone to a Werder game, and it was a really great time and great fans, so it's a shame to see them fall apart after losing Max Kuse. The last team in Bundesliga is Paderborn, and Paderborn are, you know, basically just happy to be here. They had no expectations after getting promoted. I think that everything is more or less played out as to what they've uh, anticipated, but hey, playing in Bundesliga is a big deal. You get a lot of money, and that team has an extremely limited budget and fan base, so congrats to them. I'm sure that this season was just icing on the cake. Hopefully you folks now have a slightly better understanding of some of the Bundesliga teams that you can root for, and there will be plenty to choose from over the next few weeks. I think the title race is basically down to Bayern now, so uh, as long as they don't mess up, they should be fine in winning it. Hopefully, though, Dortmund give them a run for their money, and maybe some of these other top four teams make a little bit of noise. That's going to do it for me tonight. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Before you uh, log off, be sure to check out our Locked On National NHL show hosted by Sarah Avampado. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great night, and go Jets go.